Smartcast. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. There's a change happening in the way we live, the way we work, the way we spend our money and make our decisions. We are evolving to be more conscious in our actions in a way that serves the world and makes it a better place. Welcome to The Ethical Evolution. The Ethical Evolution podcast is brought to you by Ethical Change Agency. I'm Bindi. I'm the founder, and my mission is to help ethical entrepreneurs and holistic healers to find their voice through spiritual coaching and podcasting. I'm honored to bring you the stories of those who create change through healing, kindness, innovation, purpose, and spirit. Understanding that to create collective change, we need to be the change. It all begins with us. Dallas Goodlett was adopted at the age of five, thinking he knew who his biological parents were, to only find at the age of 19 that wasn't the truth. From then, he struggled with shame, abandonment, anger and identity, which drove him to a life of alcohol and drug abuse and attempted suicide. It wasn't until he experienced psilocybin that his life changed for the better. At the age of 30, his love for his daughter became his driving force for sobriety and to live. At 35, he has taken up walking and finds peace and purpose in each step, as he now coaches others to live a better life. I feel fortunate to have met Dallas, given all that he has been through. He is a shining light and inspiration for others, and a truly beautiful person, inside and out. This episode discusses suicide and suicidal ideation, which some people might find disturbing. If you or someone you know was impacted, help is available. Speak to someone today. Here in Australia, Lifeline is available 24 hours a day on 13 11 14. Welcome, Dallas, to The Ethical Evolution. Yes, thank you for having me, Mandy. Now, uh, for those who don't know who you are and uh, what you do, can you go ahead and tell us? Uh, yeah, just like I said, my name is Dallas, and uh, right now I'm just trying to help people out, doing some online coaching, um, just trying to help people kind of any way I can as far as what I've done in my life. Um, been on a journey of just being sober and uh, just trying to get everything, you know, lined up and uh, I call it linear. Um, for so long, I felt like I was just tangled up and uh, I'm just trying to not have so many peaks and valleys and uh, just live a nice, sober, straight life is what I'm trying to do at this moment. Yeah. Now, if if we uh, take a step back into your past, Dallas, um, there's a whole bunch of things you uncovered in your life. Um, and addiction um, was a really big part of your life, wasn't it? Can you tell us about how bad it got? Uh, you know, it got, it got bad where um, 
and you know, I don't want to compare myself to anybody else, but for me, I don't know how much, I don't know how it could have got any worse. Um, from the time I opened my eyes, from the time I went to bed, it was either drinking, smoking marijuana, doing cocaine, um, took enormous amounts of psychedelics, which we can talk about those later. Um, if any drug I ever did, those probably played the most beneficial, beneficial part of my life, uh, as far as healing is concerned. But, um, yeah, it was, there was a period in my life where I was doing so much, uh, I think I was trying to essentially kill myself without doing it. If you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, just drinking as much as I could. And like I say, there were times I was doing so much cocaine. I thought my heart was going to explode and I just kept on doing it. Um, so yeah, that was a period of my life that I'm glad it's over. Um, but I just didn't give up and not any longer. So here I am. So, you know, it, it sounds like you were trying to numb something, um, some pain underneath all of that. Um, now you discovered, uh, that you were adopted, right? Correct. Um, so at five years old is kind of when I first found out. And, um, I remember like it was yesterday, I was sitting on my mom's lap. She was, a she's a piano player and we're sitting on, I was sitting on her lap. She was at the piano and, uh, she told me that I was adopted at five. Um, at that time, it's kind of when I say life kind of began for me. Excuse me. I was, um, from that point on, I just really never felt, uh, I guess you'd say normal. Mm. You know, I had a great family. Uh, they loved me. I can't really ask for a better family. But, uh, yeah, I just never really felt whole. I never felt, um, you know, I hate saying I never real family, but that's kind of how I felt for the longest time. Now, I felt that way for about 20 years till I healed myself. But, yeah, I'd say from about five to about 24, yeah, I just I never really – Bells had a real family, uh, even though I was loved. But, um, yeah, I found that out at five years old. And, uh, a lot of shame, a lot of anger, a lot of embarrassment, uh, a lot of feelings with that came with it. So, I mean, you would have struggled with y- your own identity through that entire time, like knowing who you are, where you belonged. Um, and, and that sense of belonging can be the thing that really makes us come unstuck, can't it? Like... You know, and and it can really spur on things like addiction because you don't know you don't know who you are, you don't know who your tribe is, who your people are, uh, or where you should exactly. be. And so you're like, well, I'll just numb it out until I can find a way to the other side. Yeah, exactly, and that's why I was doing it for that long a period because I was numbing a pain, I was numbing a void in my life that, like you said, I didn't know what tribe I belonged to. Um, and the, the crazy part of the story is the. I thought I knew Um, when my parents explained this to me at that age, I thought I knew. So um, I can kind of go on a a detailed part of the story here, but yeah, they told me when I was five and the people who I thought were my biological parents, I would see them often. So they only lived about 10 miles away from me. So I used to wrestle um, as into sports and I would see this family at sporting events and um, I thought I knew who they were. So I would see them, even though I had a giant void, I at least had some of that hole filled, you know, at least I know, uh, but come to find out later in my life, which we can get into later, uh, it wasn't them. So that's when the, the hole really blew up and exploded. Uh, but yeah, it was a, it was a big void that was really never filled. And I filled it with drugs and alcohol and 
sex, um, going to the bars, just women, wherever I could find. Maybe, I mean, it just it was a bad time in my life. I had a very, very bad perspective on women. I loved women. At the same time, I, I despised them for what I went through as a child. Uh, it was a really duality type relationship, you might say, kind of view I had with women. So, yeah, I definitely filled up that hole with substances for sure. Mm. And given, you know, all that you've been through and and how much, you know, you were trying to punish yourself um, and and how you were trying to numb it, I'm surprised you're still out here in society, Dallas. <laughs> well, and I am too. Um, you know, by, I was violent. I'm surprised I'm not in jail for honestly killing somebody. Um, surprised I'm not dead. I'm so, I mean, just it's really a miracle where I'm at today. And I still have. I'm not where I want to be at yet in life. Um, I continue to grow. I don't know if I ever will be, but each day I get better. Uh, but yeah, from where I was at, you know, 15 years ago, it's not even the same universe. Mm. So, mm. yeah. Um, so how long have you been sober now, Dallas? Completely sober. I mean, nothing at all. It's been a little over a year. Congratulations. Um, well have, done. Yeah, thank you very much. And I've gradually gotten better. Uh my daughter, when she was born, is kind of when I cut out most of the alcohol. So my daughter's um, almost 10 years old now. And for the last, I can tell you, for the last 10 years of my life, I've been like really drunk twice in 10 years. And I socially drank for quite a bit, but just really, really drunk where I was kind of, you know, blacked out in a sense, been twice. Um, but before that, I mean, it was a day in, day out thing. Pills, Xanax, I mean, you name it. So, Yeah. So, you know, I've spoken to many addicts and, and I also speak with a lot of um, addiction recovery uh, experts as well. And, and so I, I know a lot in this space. But um, for you, do you feel like you'll always be an addict? Like I know for a lot of people, it, it, for them, it's something that's always a piece of their puzzle that they just have to deal with regardless of whether they're sober or not. Yeah, and that's a great question, and that's why I don't really – because I'm telling you, Benny, I tried quitting a million times, and I used to be that guy where I would announce it like, oh, hey, everybody, I, you know, two weeks sober, I'm a month, and then I crashed up off the wagon. So now, I, I mean, it's a lifelong thing, so mm-hmm. I don't even – like, if you hadn't asked, I wouldn't even have told you. I just say I, I'm I'm not doing drugs or alcohol right now. That's what I'm doing because it's – it's more than just day by day. Really, it's moment by moment. It's second by second because at any moment, if I took a drink, if I smoked a cigarette, a cigarettes, I was addicted to those for 20 years, um, smoked a joint, line of cocaine, anything. It, it, I was either zero, zero or 100 miles an hour. Yep. So, yeah. yeah, it would it would all be gone. And I just know I can't touch it anymore. And uh, it took a long, long time to realize that and many, many times quitting. Because I don't, I don't know your really you know life history, but you say you've worked with people and you know a lot about this. But uh, people fool themselves and they mm. think I can have a little bit. I can do it in moderation. Uh, maybe some people can, but other people that can't, they need to realize that and just you can't have any. So mm. and I've been I've even been that way with food. Like I've had you know peaks and valleys and plateaus of food. Where I've been real heavy, lost a lot of weight, excuse me there, um, lost a lot of weight. So even with food now, like I try to stay away from desserts because I'll eat yeah. a whole bag of candy, you know, yeah. even so. 
Yeah, I just stay away from it completely. And that's it. You know, I think some people just have this propensity, you know, regardless of whatever the drug is, um, they can't be near it. They really can't be near it. It can't be an arm's reach. And if it is, it'll all be gone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I I have friends who they can do that, you know, have a joint every month and it's good for them, but I can't, you know, I can't compare myself to them. Mm. I mean, and I know I can't. So, and they're good. Excuse me. Took a long time to realize that. So, how did you work your way out um, of the addiction and the pain? Like, how did you begin to heal? Uh, So, even when I was going through all of this, I'm I'm a big believer in self development. You know, whether it be reading, meditating, uh, journaling, whatever. I was I was still doing all these things, but there wasn't anything really that put me over the edge as far as, uh, you know, I guess getting off these substances and healing myself. But what it was, uh, I've talked about it before with other people was, excuse me, it was a, it was a major dose of um, psilocybin mushrooms, which was, it really, that's what changed everything. And that story kind of goes, and I had already done them before. um, But I don't know if you're, if you know much about psychedelics or not, uh, but yeah, you always want to, you always want to set your intentions and mm. sometimes it doesn't matter what your intentions are. It takes you on a totally different mm. ride. But this time, you know, my intentions always were like, God, I just, I want to heal. Like, I don't like being this way. I don't like feeling this way, thinking this way. Um, so at age 24, I took, you know, it was probably about seven grams of psilocybin mushrooms. And, uh, I remember I, I was, shouldn't be telling this story, but I was, I was driving around and I drove into like a cemetery of all things. And the, you know, the tombstones were there and I was walking up over the horizon there and the sun wasn't going to go down. And I don't know what it was, Benny, but when that sun peaked or, you know, went over those tombstones and was going down, it was like the death of the old me. Mm. So all the labels that I had, labeled myself with like I have no self-worth um I have no value nobody loves me just all these horrible negative things I would say to myself I mean just like that they were gone Mm. and I was just overwhelmed with peace and love and there was just no judgment there was it was like I was born again um and also things that you know my parents and I we had a really tumultuous relationship for a long time and I'll get to that here in a minute uh so for about five years we really didn't even speak um, and it healed that too. So there was no more blame. There was no more anger towards them. It was just like, I started over. So that day from then on, everything changed. I mean, my whole life has been different. I tell people probably the two most profound moments of my life was the day my daughter was born. And the day I partook in those, um, psychedelics. So, and again, I'm not, I'm not advocating for everybody to do those. Mm. And I know they're doing trials on people now for health and depression and stuff. And I believe they do have their purpose and their value. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it changed everything from that day on. Mm. And so. I've heard a lot around um, psychedelics, in particular psilocybin, um, and, yeah. and the good it can do for those with chronic mental illness um, if, if done in a very, um, you know, concentrated and, and you know, intentional way. Um, mm. And, you know, I've had experts on the show on that as well. So if, if you haven't checked them out, go go have a listen. But 
Um, there's, there's so much healing in that space that I think medicine really needs to catch up with. I mean, you know, the transformation within you, um, it, it's like it flips a switch in your brain and you're a whole new person. Yeah. And you know, something I tell people is it was like, they'll say, you know, what was it like? And it's hard to explain. Um, but I just tell people, it was like, if you went to like 20 years of therapy in four hours, I mean, that's what it was like. It was just everything was just fixed just like that and just the, the the overwhelming feeling of love and that's all that matters in this life you know it's not money it's not sex it's not food it's not any of these things us humans crave and desire it just comes down to love and that's all i felt was just love 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 and you know it's like i understand now uh total loss of fear of death i mm. mean just everything that kind of drives our human behaviors was just gone um so yeah that's kind of what changed everything was that day so mm. and well don't don't get me wrong that changed all the how do i word this so from like 24 to 30 i was kind of just drifting through life and still drinking um still smoking pot all the time but it, it didn't come from this place of like no value from the yeah. self-loathing i was more just like i didn't really have a purpose at that time in life and i was kind of drifting through and to an outsider, I mean, I was probably still an alcoholic and all this, but at least it wasn't coming from a place of self-hatred and mm. anger, you know. So uh, my daughter's kind of when that all changed. But, yeah, so, um, yeah, if you don't mind, I'll tell you real quick, though, how uh, how that all, my parents' and relationship. So from, like, five years old, I was telling you about that, had the uh, shame, the hatred, the anger, all that. 19 is kind of where the story is, it gets crazy. So um, I explained earlier that I thought I knew who my biological parents were from five to 19. And what happened was I was working at a, uh, a Kmart one day and the woman who I thought was my biological mom had come in to talk to me. Now at this time, I wanted nothing to do with her. You know, how dare you give me up for adoption? I have a family, like don't talk to me. So I had a lot of resentment towards her already. Well, she came into the store, gave me her phone number, wanted to talk. I took the number, crumpled it up, threw it in my pocket, went home, talking to my dad that day. And uh, I said, Dad, her name was Beth. And I said, Beth came into the store today and wanted to talk to me. I said, I wish she would even, I wish she'd just leave me alone, you know. And my dad looked at me and he said, uh, he's like, Dallas, he goes, you know, that's that's she's not your biological mom. And... Uh, the only way I explain this to people is, is like if you, you know, you see these movies where somebody steps on a landmine, their whole mm. body just blows into pieces. That mm. was the way my mind went. Like I said, I was like, huh? What do you mean she's not? And he's like, well, no, that's not your biological mom. So any um, any kind of shred of identity I had at that time, which wasn't much at all, or any type of uh, wholeness, it was gone. It was just completely wiped out and gone and I remember you know I looked at him and it was just straight anger like how could you lie to me um totally misguided anger towards him but it was a lot of um yeah just how could you lie to me and you know I didn't realize that at the time he was doing the best he could the courts when you are adopted what they do is they have either open or closed cases it may be different now but back in the 80s, I was considered a closed case. Mm. So I come to find out that my mom was in a mental institution and the state pretty much forced her to give me up for adoption. 
Right. So then I had foster parents who I thought were my biological, thought my thought were my biological parents. They had me. They couldn't take care of me, or you know, quote unquote, didn't want me, whatever the case. And then the parents I have now that I've always known since I was about two years old, they took me in. Um. So yeah, I for about five years. I went on a rampage and that was like, from like 19 to 24. And, uh, you know, like I say, I look back at it now and it's just, it tears me up inside because I just, I didn't want anything to do with my parents and they didn't, they didn't lie to me intentionally. Um, when I was able to talk about this later, I had asked them questions about it. And they said, you know, when you adopt a child, you have to go through, you know, the courts and you have a therapist and like people to talk to you and counselors. And, uh, you know, it's a sensitive subject and it's complex, obviously. So they advise my parents, you know, don't don't really discuss any of this with your child unless your child brings it up and asks you questions. Well, I really don't want to talk about it when I was a kid. You know, when I'm a teenager, it's embarrassing. I don't want to mm. bring it up. So I just it was just never talked about. So I was probably waiting on my parents to talk to me about it, and they were probably waiting on me to talk to them about it. It just it never got discussed. Mm. Uh, but again, at 19, I didn't have that maturity to understand that. It was just, you know, you did me wrong. And that was my only mindset at that time. And yeah, I just laid about five years of just pure chaos and destructiveness. And, you know, we, we've talked about how you've come out the other side of it. But, uh, you know, a lot of addicts that I talk to, um, we often talk about the rock bottom um, and, and it being a big part in coming out the other side. What would you say was the rock bottom for you? Rock bottom. Mm. I, you know, I had many rock bottoms. I, I mean, I, I might more. I mean, some of my rock bottoms would probably be, you know, one person, one rock bottom forever. But yeah, I mean, I had many. I can remember plenty of times where I took. Uh, I was actually talking to my wife about this tonight. There's some pills. They're called four seeding pills. They're for high blood pressure. You can get them at Walmart. Mm-hmm. And. Uh, I had somebody I worked with at this time tell me about these pills and there's a girl and she's like, well, I took three or four of these and I was hallucinating and kind of tripping out. So again, I, I didn't really want to live at that time. So I was like, huh, I'm gonna go get some of these. And again, I'm, I'm not 20 miles an hour. I go a hundred. Yeah. So I remember like not wanting to live. And I remember taking the whole pack. I think the pack had like 18 pills in it. And I never had a stroke. I may have had a stroke when this happened, but I remember, I couldn't talk. I couldn't physically form words. And I remember my brain, I felt like I was having a, almost like bleeding in the brain, like an aneurysm. And, uh, I just wanted to die. Mm. And I took them three more nights in a row. I don't know how I didn't die from those. Um, and it even, you know, they say if you take over like five of these things and you go, I, matter of fact, I remember, yeah, I called this like, it was a suicide hotline. It was like an overdose hotline or something. Um, and this was after I'd done them, so I wanted to talk to somebody. And they said, yeah, if you had taken over like six of those things, you should have went to the emergency room. And I took 18, you know, almost 80 of those things in four days. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> so, yeah, like 75 of them. Um, so that was a rock-bottom moment. Uh, I had nights where, you know, like I say, I was doing exorbitant amounts of cocaine and heart was racing out of my chest and, you know, that's where most people would put it down while I would do more, almost hoping my heart would explode. Um, just a lot of nights like that. I mean, I don't really remember if there's like one singular moment 
that stood out. Um, it was just a lot. I mean, it was a lot of rock bottoms. So, mm. yeah. So do you have any ongoing health problems since all of that destruction? Not that I know of. Um, you know, I'm a big believer in the body can heal itself pretty well, mm. um, very, pretty fast. So, yeah, I've been, you know, I try to eat right. I exercise. Um, like I say, I've really cut back on everything. And like I say, it's been a full year, so I've really done anything at all. Uh, so no, really no that I know of, you know, and I got my, like my blood sugars are perfect. I don't get tested a lot, but I know I have uh, blood pressure is perfect. Um, my blood sugar levels are perfect. My parents are diabetic. So like I'll go over there mm. and go, you know, t- test my blood sugars. Uh, but those are perfect levels. And, uh, yeah, I mean, when I went to the doctor, I don't, nothing I know of, you know, so I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't, I'm probably the most lucky person I've ever met. You are so no. blessed. <laughs> you are so well, blessed, really. Um, like after all you've actually, been through, I, yeah. I actually had a tattoo on my arm that says "blessed." Oh, look at that! You know, I, yeah. I knew that. <laughs> um, yeah, Dallas. Wow. I mean, like if, if someone is listening to this now and they're struggling with addiction or even coming to terms with their own identity, whatever that is, what kind of advice would you have for them based on what you've been through? Just don't ever give up. Mm. Never, ever give up or quit. Um, for me, I also thank God my parents raised me in a church. So I'm not telling anybody to believe in Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha or whatever. But you have to have a higher power. I mean, you just can't get through this life without one. And I don't know how people do it. Because when you, when you are at rock bottom, who do you turn to? And I'd like to ask somebody that. Like, if they were at rock bottom... Who do they turn to? Because I know when I was at rock bottom, I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And it was just God help me. Like, I do not want to live like this anymore. Um, and just, you know, like I say, don't give up. Have faith. Things will change. It may be a year, maybe two years. I don't know. But if you never give up and quit, you'll get there someday. You'll get to that other, you know, other side that you're looking for. Mm. Um and I know we're yeah. t- we're talking about some pu- kind of full on stuff here, um, including you know how you really wanted to take your life. Um, you know, again, for anyone who's listening and just doesn't want to be here anymore, I mean, you've now been presented with things in your life that make your life worth living, like your daughter, um, yeah. and actually finding things like love. What would you say to someone if they're in that space right now? Uh, it almost makes me tear up thinking about that. Um, <laughs> I'd say know somebody is out there that does love you. Um, and I know when you're in that space, you think nobody does. And I would say, even if this may sound crazy, but even if, even if like nobody does love yourself, mm. you know, love yourself. Um, because sometimes that's all you have. And I know there are people out there that is all they have. They don't have any family. They don't have any friends. They don't, I mean, they're lonely. Loneliness can kill people. Um, just know you have worth in this world. Know you have value. And yeah, I mean, most people I would say have somebody that does love them. But even if you don't, just love yourself because you're worth it. Mm. And things can change. Absolutely. I promise they can change. 
and and you are evidence of that. And so so now uh, today, looking back on your past, <clears throat> you've taken that pain and you're turning it into purpose. How are you using that purpose to help others? Well, I'm just new. Um, started some like online coaching, and I'm trying to help people just in that way. Um, but like my purpose now, and I had to hire. I hired a coach recently too. Um, but my purpose and the way he kind of spoke this to me was like, we, I have to become the best version of me and then give that person away to the world. So mm-hmm. essentially you're serving others and I can't serve others if I'm not my best version. If I'm sitting around smoking pot all day or even drinking or doing anything else, I'm not living up to my best abilities. Um, so I just want to become the person I, I would always admire the person that I would want to be, the person I would listen to and then give that person away to other people. Uh, so my goals in the future, are, you know, motivational speak, help kids out, um, adults, whoever. Um, but again, I can't, I look at people who are in that space and you find out they still get drunk often or they're still doing, you know, whatever gambling, addicted to porn, whatever it is, like any type of addiction. And I can't really take them serious. Um, so I don't want to be that person. I want to be somebody who, again, I would have looked up to as a kid and just, uh, yeah, just be the best version of myself is what I'm, what I'm going for now. I love that. And that includes a lot of areas. What's mm-hmm. that? I love that, you know, uh, becoming your best self and then sharing that with the world. Um, yeah. You know, and again, that's another theme that uh, a lot of addicts that I've spoken to, you know, when I ask what their purpose is now, it is to be a service. Um, and, you know, um, by turning that pain around and actually helping others get out of the dark as well, like that yeah. is one of the well, most valuable you know, things I, you can do. I don't do. want to see anybody go through that. No. And they don't have to. Um, and, you know, if I would have somebody like me talking to me when I was younger, I would have probably collapsed that time instead of, yeah. you know, 15 years of hell and pain. Maybe I only got it for three years, but I didn't have anybody to look up to like that. You know, it was some of these false idols, these role models, you know, whether it be musicians or movie stars or whoever, um, not good. So yeah, I just want to be that guy that says, Hey, you don't have to do this. Like take it from me. I've been through it. You know, you don't have to live this way and I'll show you how. Mm. Uh, so yeah, cause it sucks. And like I say, I've been, I've been overweight. I've had issues with my weight. I've had issues with nicotine. I've had issues with pornography cocaine, alcohol, uh, marijuana. I mean, pills, Xanax. I was, I was hooked on Xanax and Adderall for a couple of years too. I mean, I run the gamut, mm. <laughs> you know, with things. So yeah, I just, I love the way I live now. You don't do things nice by halves, do you? <laughs> What's that? You don't do things by halves, do you? No, uh, <laughs> no, it's all or nothing. So, I mean, if you were to, if someone was to ask you now, Dallas, uh, who is the person that you look up to as, you know, an idol or someone who inspires you? Well, I mean, always I say God first and foremost, but um, I have uh, so my coach I hire. His name is uh, his name is Wes Watson, and he's not like a household name right now, but I, I think he will be in the future. But his story was he was in prison for ten years, and he was on every you know smoking speed. Uh, meth, whatever. And he totally changed his life around. I mean, if you get on YouTube and watch this guy, he might be a little much for somebody. I mean, he kind of cusses, but he's, he's what to me men need to hear. 
Um, and that's who I hired as my coach. And he speaks about sobriety, like dropping all your vices. You cannot have any vices in this yeah. world. And uh, he's somebody who I look up to because even, you know, you get people like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was talking about him the other day. Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, bodybuilder, a lot of guys look up to him. And he was on Instagram talking about how he pours peach schnapps in his pre-workout drink. Ooh. And some people may see that on the surface and say, oh, big deal. But it's like a big deal. Some kid will see that. Mm. And you just you created an alcoholic, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You may not know that. And maybe it's not your responsibility. But I guarantee you, some kid watched that. And now you turned him into a drunk. I guarantee it. Uh, you know, other people like The Rock, the celebrity. He has that tequila line. He's always talking about his tequila. Yeah. Do your thing, Rock, but I guarantee you some kid that looks up to you is going to be, you just destroyed his life. You destroyed some guy's marriage. You destroyed some kid. Probably dad beating up. I mean, again, you can't say, well, it's not my fault, but, mm. you know, why why even get into that? So that's why I like my guy, Wes, he's he's just all about sobriety, dropping vices, being a better man. And, uh, you know, instead of picking up a pipe or something to smoke, he talks about exercise. You know, just you get those urges just go exercise and that'll cure everything. So somebody I look up to now for sure. And there aren't many guys like him. I mean, especially in this world, it's filled with people, you know, promoting their vices and their, you know, ways. He's one of the few that aren't. So he's, mm. he's changed a lot of lives. You ought to check him out. Yeah. His name's Wes Watson. Well, he's got a name that sounds like it should be a household name. Um, so uh, he probably will be too. Yeah. I reckon he's not far he's away. <laughs> Um, and, I, and I love the approach that you've taken there. And, yeah, I completely agree with you that there's a lot of celebrities and, and media um, that have a lot to answer for. I mean, you just uh, – it's um, I've spoken about a lot of different addictions on this show and um, the media has a lot to answer for. You know, you look at movies, TV, um, celebrity oh, yeah. endorsements, all that kind of stuff. We really need to think twice, um, particularly if kids are going to be in the room, you know, like – Alcohol right. is just so widely accepted. I mean, look at how far we've come with smoking and how that attitude has changed. Why can't we do the same with alcohol? Yeah, you know, and I had somebody on Instagram the other day talking, talking the other day about that, about how alcohol, they think that it's going to go the way of cigarettes. And, you know, I'm, a, I'm an eternal optimist. I am. But I look at alcohol and I'm just like, it's got a all long the people way that to drink yeah. is great. I mean, you just go to a restaurant and you see everybody there's got a drink in their hands. Mm-hmm. You go to any sporting event, they've all got a drink in their hands. Um, so, yeah, I hope it does go the way of cigarettes someday. I just think there's too much money in it. And I don't know. I hope it does. Mm. But just next time you go out, just watch. I'm yeah, here. I know. I, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I've, um, you know, I've previously had issues with alcohol as well and, um, you know, I've taken periods where I've just stopped completely and you notice how much it is oh, around yeah. you. Everywhere you go, every event you go oh. to, everywhere. Um, you can't yeah. escape it. So, right. yeah. Well, I'll tell you real quick, Ben, here's something I've kind of thought about alcohol since I've gotten away from it. Nobody needs it and no. I'll tell you why. Is because obviously if somebody's drinking a lot and it's destroying their life, they don't need it. And then when I got to the period where I would just socially drink, I'm like, I'm all, you know, I'm going out for the night and I'm just having like two or three. I don't even need those anymore. Mm. Oh, I don't see any place for alcohol. Like I say, if you're drunk, you don't need it. And if you can get by and just have a couple, just don't have a couple and you'll be just fine. You know? Mm. So yeah, I just don't see any place for it. I think it's, it's, 
It's bad. Yeah. It's one just em- even socially, it's just empty calories anyway. So, you know, like, right. why are we doing that? You know, there's so many right. other things we could be doing with our lives. You know, these lives are so precious. And look at the, look at the way we waste them. Um, yeah. Now, um, Dallas, if people want to get in touch with you and find out more, where can they go? Uh, so I have an Instagram handle. I just started, I, I went on social media forever, but then my coach Wes, he's like, you got to start social media. Mm. You got to go on Instagram. If you want to help coach people, I said, okay. Uh, so anyway, I can actually talk about this later if you, if you have a minute, but walking, uh, kind of saved my life as well. But my Instagram handle is called, is, uh, at the underscore walk underscore King kind of self-indulgent i call myself I say what you did there i say what you did i love to walk <laughs> yeah i walk a lot and that's something else that's kind of if i could t- you have a minute where i can touch on that mm. okay because i would tell people been another thing when i was going through that period from about 30 to about 38 for my uh, after my daughter was born when i was age 30 like i said i was still smoking pot every single day um Hard drugs really weren't there, quit drinking, but I was still smoking weed and cigarettes, and I did not want to live that life either. So I had another moment. Uh, I was probably about 34 at this time, about six years ago. I was sitting in my car, and uh, I was praying, and you know, I said, God, I said, I just, I need help. Please help me. I do not want to live this life anymore. Just please help me. And uh, the overwhelming voice, and call it my conscience or the universe or whoever, just said, go walk, go walk start walking and we'll figure this out together. I said, okay, I've always been one to listen to whatever that intuition where I just do whatever they say. Sometimes it's led me astray. Other times <laughs> it's, you know, saved my life. So I did that. And, uh, ever since then I, I get minimum about five miles in a day, but something else I would tell people is if you like cigarettes were the first thing to go when I started walking these long, I call it track about 10 miles plus, but I went out and started walking and I would leave my house with no money, no nothing, no cigarettes. And I would leave them you know, at home and I would go out like on a Saturday and I would walk for, you know, four or five hours straight. So about every three miles or every three hours, you can walk about 10 miles. So I was walking about 15 miles a day and Steve Jobs, Shakespeare, uh, Isaac, all these people who are some of our geniuses, they swear by walking. They, I mean, you can look, they talk, they all talk about long walks because what it does is it's kind of like that tangled up hose I talk about where you go out to your garage and there's a hose and you look at it and there's just 55 knots in it. And you don't know where to begin. That's how my life was. And my, I have so many things where do I even start? And a lot of people, it can be that way. So with the walks, it's kind of like you're just taking knot out by not out and then by the end it's just straight um so i would do that and that's what helped me quit cigarettes that's what helped me i mean pretty much quit drinking too completely and you don't and you lose weight too i mean it's great for your fitness obviously but as far as your mental health is concerned um i have a couple friends who they pretty much stopped drinking from you know just they just started walking every day because you abstain from whatever that vice is so not only do you get the physical benefits and the mental benefits for eight hours, I couldn't have a cigarette. So the only discipline I would really have to have is, you know, don't pick a you know a dirty cigarette butt off off the ground, mm-hmm. which I'm not going to do that, or you know, bum one off somebody. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I tell people all the time if, if you're having any issues mentally or trying to give up an addiction, you start off by a walk, mm-hmm. and it can 
it can change things very fast. Mm. And, you know, I was um, I was talking to a fitness coach from uh, Gainesville um, a couple of weeks ago and, you know, we were talking about the motivation for exercise and mm-hmm. a lot of people are like, oh, I've got to do it to lose weight. And actually, you know, for a lot of people, it's not the thing that helps them lose weight. Um, but really exercise, one of the best motivations for it is actually for your mental health. Because mm-hmm. it is so great for our mental health and making sure that we can, like it changes our endorphins and our hormones and, you know, we're getting our yeah. dopamine going. So our whole brain chemistry is going to change. So our mental health is going to shift. Um, and, yeah, right. then you get the added benefit of fitness. So right. I think it's just looking yeah, exactly at your, motiv- right. your motivations and why you do things as well. What's that? Your motivations and why you do things is really important as well because it, it, it creates the change too, like it would with addiction. Right. And that's what exactly right. You nailed it on the head there about exercise. And I try to tell people is don't think about it from a physical or aesthetic standpoint. Mm. Think about it for your mental health because the physical part will take care of itself on its own. But if you exercise, and that's what thing, you know, again, my mentor, Wes, that's something he kind of drilled into my head was, because when he was in prison, he had to escape his negative self-talk. And he's like, the only way I could do that was through exercise. Yeah. So the physical part will come with it. But people have to start focusing on what it does for their mental health. And with walking, that's what to me is so great. It's low impact. You can do it anytime, anywhere. And I even me, like, I'll go to the gym when I can. But I know there's a lot of people who will never go to the gym. Mm-hmm. You know, they're either too heavy or they just, it's not for some people. But I kind of joke around and tell people, like, if you can walk to the refrigerator, you can go outside and walk. That's it. So just start walking. Yeah, one step at a time, you know, like even if it's just to the mailbox and back, that's a start, you know. And I'm glad you said that too, Bendy, because the the metaphors and the life lessons you get on walks or I get on walks, like what you just said right there, one step at a time, you can use that in your life in itself, you know, one step at a time. I'm not trying to you know, sprint to the end of this journey. Life's a, it's a long road. And I know if I just take one step at a time and I say slow motion is better than no motion, mm-hmm. you'll get there. Um, and like I teach my daughter, this is like, we'll go out on a walk and she'll, you know, up and puff. And then, you know, you put your head down and just, and you just go, you look back and you're like, Oh my God, look how far I've, I've come, mm. you know, but, but when you look out ahead, you think it's this big, long journey. And that's how like quitting addictions can be. It's like, oh, it's just too much for me. So just, you know, put your head down one step at a time. And then pretty soon, yeah, you're going to look back and, oh, my God, I came this far. Mm. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of life lessons I learned through walking for sure. Mm. A lot of it's best left in the rear view mirror, isn't it? Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, I got the last big question for you, Dallas. What's the change yeah. you'd like to see in the world and how can we bring it to life? Uh, just, I mean, everybody to just love each other and just not get so caught up in this, you know, I think TV is like the devil. Um, I think it's divisive, just, you know, stuff we see on the news, just give, you know, give people the benefit of the doubt. That's something that's always served me too. really well is look for the good in people Mm. and know that we're all born inherently good and through life circumstances or, you know, things that have happened to people, it can change people, but just know that there's a good soul underneath that exterior. And again, we're all, 
we were all born good at one point mm-hmm. and just to forgive people. And, uh, yeah, just give people the benefit of the doubt. You know, if somebody upsets you, these are life lessons. You know, my dad taught me when I was a kid, just, you know, things I'm kind of saying now is just give people the benefit of the doubt, you know, don't mm-hmm. rush to conclusions, don't jump conclusions and, uh, just love and forgive. So, yeah. Uh, and I love that, you know, like, as you say, we, we're, we're all born perfect and we're all born um, good um, inherently. Yeah. Um, but, you know, over time things change and everybody's got a story. Everybody's gone through something. And, right. you know, it's more in our struggles that we're more alike than apart. And exactly. I think if we can just see that in each other and understand each other on that level, phew, the world would be a different place. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And, you know, real quick, Ben, even people that we see that have it all together, like I live here in Florida and I see people that got their mansions and nice cars and stuff. And, you know, even they, you know, I don't want to compare whose problems get worse, but I mean, even they have problems, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, and again, I know money can help things out in situations. I've had I've had times where I had a lot of money. I was in the banking industry for a while and uh, kind of crapped that away with drugs and alcohol. But there were times I made a lot of money and I was hurting deeply at those times yeah uh so yeah we just gotta look at everybody with a fresh set of loving eyes and just try to look at them as like you know like i say they were born a good soul at one point yeah absolutely dallas i I reckon you and i could sit down and talk all day there's so much that we've got in common (laughs) it's not funny but i have loved every minute with you thank you for being a part of the ethical evolution well thank you benny i appreciate it thank you very much Thanks for listening to the Ethical Evolution Podcast. If you're ready to be the change and would love to work with me on finding your voice through spiritual coaching or creating your own podcast with impact, visit ethicalchangeagency.com. DC, I host the rock podcast back to the arena, the interviews. It's about a 30 minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to back to the arena, the interviews. Electric acid. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Electric acid.